Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Catherine. And I'm Gail. And welcome to our podcast with our guest, Judith DeVries. We're delighted to have her with us. She is Director of Learning at uh, Challenger Christmas and Gray. And Judith, we'd like you to tell, tell us what that Director of Learning is about. What does that position involve? I'm the Director of two practices. One is the C-Suite in Transition or C-suite leaders that are in transition, and I have a group of executive advisors that work for me in that practice. The second practice is Challenger Business and Executive Coaching, where we work with developmental coaching for people who are still employed. Now, my recollection is that this was a position that was created basically for you. Yes. And uh, how long ago was that? 14 years. I said I would do it for a year, and here I am. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And we know that that you're in your mid-70s and that you plan to keep continue to work as long as you can. And we'd like to have you talk a bit about what is keeping you uh, in this position and so fully engaged in a really demanding leadership position. Well, I think that that really is the way that into your 70s, even into your 80s, that you can continue to lead a purposeful life. And working in a business that values age and wisdom and being able to continue to teach and coach other people keeps me fully engaged all the time. And I remember when I was coming back to school and Catherine was my mentor, and I don't know if you remember, but I've used it many times, Catherine, that I told you I didn't know what I wanted to do, and you said, Judith, you have to figure out what it is that you can't not do, and I Mm -hmm. think I found it. Well, that sounds really wise, doesn't it? Yes, it was. You were her mentor? Yes. Just like you were my mentor. How interesting. We have that in common, Judith. Yes, and we're still friends. (laughs) We are. And so are we. We are, indeed. Judith, I know that you've had several careers before you came to uh, working at Challenger. And could you just give us a, a sort of a snapshot of the different careers that you've, you've uh, pursued? Right. I generally have worked in operations. I really like being a ringmaster, and I like to see the way that things work and achieve things, projects with, that are new projects, projects with problems, expanding uh, problems, but all always it has to be uh, something that I see giving, uh, being able to pay forward and help other people. And so that's been involved in my for-profit life in pharma, in retail, in testing and assessment, the longest probably in pharma, and also in my volunteer life, which uh, has dealt with domestic violence, with education for ex-felons, Uh, for hospice and all those sort of things. And I just can't stop doing it. (laughs) It seems uh, to me that you have been pushing the envelope kind of on the cutting edge of many of these areas. Yes. Domestic violence, working with ex-offenders. And I'm wondering, what, what do you think prepared you most for this position you have as director of learning? And also I'm interested in why that title? There are two things that have been my past experience and 
that the, it was the right place at the right time. A job like this didn't exist. It was just starting to exist when I came here and they were developing the project. And also that it really combines, I've been a businesswoman all my life and love business. And I also like teaching, but I had no desire at all to be in a university teaching all the time. Mm-hmm. And so when John Challenger approached me and said that he was had this new business that they were thinking of developing and would I be interested in, it seemed to meet all those roles. And they asked what I wanted my title to be, and they wouldn't give me princess, so I took director of <laughs> Well, you said you were in pharma. Yes, in generic pharma. I worked in operations in generic pharma. So everything you've done has been in operations. Yes. And, and, and teaching. And in those roles, there's been a lot of teaching and coaching. Okay. When I look back over it, and at one point, you know, pharma has been, particularly generic pharma, has been in chaos and merger and acquisition roles for many, many, many years. And I really had a chance one time with one of the acquisitions, I was going to leave and they wanted me to stay. And they said, you can design your job and call it whatever you want. And I realized how much teaching and coaching I'd been there. And I said, I want to be uh, the coach for the corporation. They said, fine. Mm-hmm. I recently met a lot of women in pharma through the organization Women in Bio. Yes. Have you heard of that? Oh, I certainly have. And we're actually getting ready to do a second large uh, learning initiative with a biotech company outside of Boston that deals with 25 women leaders, teaching them to be pure coaches and mm-hmm. creating a coaching culture. So, yeah, we're really f- familiar with that and it's great work. Mm-hmm. Right. And I also get to scratch some of the nonprofit itch, too. We're doing also another uh, learning initiative of 20 sessions of webinars and workshops and building a library for the not-for-profit ounce of prevention here in Chicago. Oh, oh nice. So the, the practice has really changed, too. We've come a long way from individual coaching. Can, can you tell us a little bit about Challenger Gray? Challenger uh, Gray and Crispus is a family-owned company, privately held, 66 years old. Mr. Challenger is very frail physically, but still is very, very active uh, mentally and in the business. Many, many people think that outplacement is something new. It's not. He started the first uh, outplacement company 66 years ago. And he'll say, people will say, oh, I wish I'd known you then. I would have liked to invested with you. And he said, no, you wouldn't have. Everybody thought I was crazy. <laughs> when do you think this, when did it, the outplacement really come into vogue? It didn't come in. It's been in vogue for that long with executives. Mm-hmm. But with the mainstream, it's been the last 20 years. Yeah, it seems to be more, more, you hear more about it in the mainstream now. Right. I know many people who have worked for corporations and who have been offered their own uh, uh, coaching in order to, my, and my brother's a good example because he worked for Inland Steel his entire career. And then when he was ready to retire, they gave him a really solid course on how to be a consultant. And yes. that's what he went and did for the next 12 years. 
And it's really finding people, helping people find that next step in their career, whatever that, that's going to be. And it really gives them a real opportunity because when you're, as you know, in a career and you're head down and raising a family and doing all those things, you don't have time to think about what's coming next. And that luxury is there then. That also, too, is that everybody that works in both practices, uh, they have to have the usual certifications. But the number one thing is you have to have had at least 15 solid years as a leader in business to do the work. Mm. I'd like to have you talk a little more about that in terms of your industry honoring, requiring experience that tends to come with age. Is that true for other outplacement uh, firms, or is this really particular to Challenger? It's it's most particular to Challenger. Uh, it's just we don't, you know. I was had someone that we were going to coach at one of the large oil companies, and when I was talking to him before that, he said, "Now I'll tell you, I'll do this, and I want to do it, but I don't want you to send me some old man." Oh. And I said, well, Scott, let me tell you something. I won't send you someone that's on work release in the nursing home, but if I send you someone that's 30 years old like you are, they won't know any more than you do. <laughs> good answer. Very that's good. really true. And also in coaching, we don't, uh, it's not training, it's, it's truly coaching. And so we're working on real-time business problems with people, and you can't do that unless you've had that business uh, experience yourself. We're not life coaches, although you do get to know your clients very well. And I really like the fact I get to know all of them because I'm the coach's coach. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a great position to be in. And so I'm wondering... Have you thought about your future? I mean, we know that each new decade over 70 brings with it specific issues and challenges. Well, my grandmother lived to be almost 100 years old, and she was a woman way ahead of her time. And she had her own businesses until she was over 90. And so I thought, too, it it certainly thought when I was getting ready to go back to school and change careers, I better figure out something to do because I had a long way to go yet. <laughs> and then I've had two, and then it's been an interesting piece too that I've had. And with the non-for-profit thing, uh, I've had a chance to become and really have a research interest and become a subject matter expert and get to do a lot of speaking and do work about bullying in the workplace. And that's been, that really has captured me. Uh, over several, several years now. So there'll be another project come (laughs) here too, I think. And people ask uh, Dave Cervone, who's the uh, chief operating officer here, and I are the ones that have built both of these businesses. And people have asked us, since we came from large corporations, why would you go to work for a privately held family company? And it certainly does have some of the foibles that all family companies do. However, John Challenger, who truly is an open-door CEO, has given us the privilege of being that entrepreneurial and build two businesses within his business. And in a large uh, public corporation, we would never have had the chance to do that. So these are two businesses that you've developed and are are. are anticipating that there might be even more? Yes. We just don't going to give away any secrets yet, though. No, no, but always thinking and always seeing opportunities there. And just the way that the coaching has expanded, 
into uh, going from just individual coaching to doing groups and doing full learning programs has really been exciting. So what, what, um, what got your attention around bullying? Where did that come from? Well, the, a lot of the work that I did in domestic violence, a lot of the work I did with uh, ex-felons and at the uh, Cook County Jail. You know, I never expected to end up at the Cook County Jail, but quite frankly, you have to do, as you know, externships at DePaul. Mm-hmm. And very selfishly, the one that fit my schedule was tutoring at the Cook County Jail. And I went one day and I didn't leave for three years, so... Mm. Was that with with women, men, both? It was with men. It was with men. And it's interesting. You would think it would be easier with women. It's not. You know, they would throw you over the doorstep for half a pack of Newports. And (laughs) with the men, and there certainly are correctional officers there and things, that they do still somewhere inside have some respect for uh, women and motherhood. Mm. Mm-hmm. As I'm listening to you, I'm thinking that there is some joy in late life careers. It is. It is. It's it's a lot more joy. You you find that you can do things that you didn't do before. You don't have the same anxieties, maybe that right. you had early on. And tell tell us a little bit more about that particular feeling and and idea. Well, you can take risks. You can take risks that as you're just developing your career and you're younger and new in that, that you can't take those chances. And now you can really be what's the worst thing that can happen. <laughs> and it's really sort of the thing that you get. I've gotten more and more as I've gotten older that unless someone's going to die or be killed, there'll be something to laugh about later. <laughs> and that kind of stands me in good stead, I think. And it just really is, and it's joy. People will say, you know, on the side with the people in transition, they'll say that must be the most depressing thing in the world. And it's really not because these are all successful people or they wouldn't be given that program. And what happens often is if a CEO leaves, everybody's on the wrong team. And so then those leaders come into it. Or if there's a merger or an acquisition and there's a duplication of of positions, they leave. And so it's so interesting to see where they end up. And sometimes it's so different than you think it's going to be when they start. And Catherine, you'll appreciate this. So many of them say, well, I'll tell you one thing I know for sure. I'm not going back to a corporation because I can't stand corporate politics anymore. I want to go work in a university. Oh, do they say that? Yes, they do. And I just <laughs> laugh and say, listen here, think this over. They have a lot of time and they're smarter than you are. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. They do. They also think that, it, that they can make a lot of money as an adjunct professor because they're oh. a subject matter expert. <laughs> I see. Well, welcome to the world of higher education. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> But they um, do make, and a lot of them that think come in thinking that they want to be retired, mm-hmm. that quickly goes away when they see that there are other possibilities. And people have been told so long now that uh, you know that they are too old, and really people are willing to buy wisdom now. It's not like it was where they wanted the new newly minted MBA with no business experience that that uh, people and organizations, they'll buy that wisdom and value that. And that is just a wonderful thing to see someone find that out when they've been really so discouraged about that. Yeah. So where, where, where do you see that happening? Are there certain industries that are everywhere. more open? Everywhere? Everywhere. Everywhere. 
Well, what about age discrimination that we hear so much about? You hear a lot about it, but people, one thing that uh, people learn, and when we do, and it's a lot of advising and coaching and teaching, is that it's what you do well, not where you do it, and how to approach those kind of things. So that's part of the learning about it. And it really is that it's no magic sauce, but it's teaching people how to differentiate themselves and really be able to share those success stories. Right. It's all about telling the stories that invite other people's emotions. That's right. That's right. And then you tell about yourself and what you've done in a different way. In so many people, when they go to be interviewed, and even high-level people often haven't interviewed for many, many, many years, and they really fall into the trap of being uh, their interview questions. I call it, I was born in Mississippi with a dog named Skippy, and then go forward reviewing their resume. <laughs> that doesn't work. That just makes it, makes it more obvious how old you are. And what? So, how do you suggest that they they approach it? You approach it by telling your success stories and telling who you are and what you are. Not saying I work for thirty five mm-hmm. years in banking, but what it is about you that stands out and you do well and that you want to do. And then with those things, then you can you need to prepare success stories for each one of those things that you do well to illustrate that. Mm-hmm. Right. So you recommend that anyone who is going to do transition should, uh, should definitely think about hiring a, a career coach. Yes. Yes. It's yeah. Because it's something that you haven't done. And even people, some of the people that have the most problems are people that come out of human resources because they think just because they've interviewed hundreds of people over the years, they know how to interview. And often when we're doing practice interviewing and things, they're the worst. It also requires a perspective shift. Yes. Which is what I coach about. And, yeah. and I think that that makes that makes it easier for people to understand what it is that they're trying to get into right and how it's different from what it was that they they the position they were in before and how they should welcome it it is it's what you do well not where you do it and boy when that really came to light and really knew that was true was back with when the financial services fell apart you know 2009 that about that mm-hmm. time because there were no financial services jobs and Other than people that are attorneys or physicians, most often people end up in the business or the industry that they're in by circumstance and opportunity. Right. I think that's true. Yeah, I dare dare say that, you know, people, the CEO that retired from uh, Rubbermaid with many, many, many millions of dollars, I really don't think when he was a nine-year-old boy, he went to bed at night and dreamed about storage containers and dish racks. (laughs) Maybe he did. Or he might have, <laughs> but I doubt it. Tell us what, what uh, you know, think back 10 years ago or so, and, and what, what can you tell our listeners that would help them think about, what, what would you have told yourself 10 years ago, knowing what you know now? Be open. Uh, don't be afraid to take risks. Don't close yourself to any possibility. People ask me all the time, what is the biggest obstacle and the biggest barrier that leaders have in transition? And it's not their age, and it's not where they've been or what they've done. It's because they put barriers in front of themselves before they ever have a job offer. What kind of barriers are those, do you think? Oh, they, st- well, it's, you know, 
let's talk about this opportunity at so-and-so XYZ Corporation. Oh, no, no, no. I know that's not going to work. I know they're going to mm -hmm. want me to move to Wyoming. I know that they're going to make me travel 50 weeks a year. I know that I'm only going to get two weeks vacation again. Nonsense. You have nothing to evaluate until you have an offer. You can yeah. always say, I'm sorry later. I, it's not what I'm looking for now, but you have to. The best answer is I would consider it. Sure, sure. So I wanted to, you and you and Gail both ha pursued higher education, formal education, a bit later in life. Yes. And um, so can you talk about that experience? And then what would you say to other women who are looking to maybe change careers or really enhance what they're, what they're doing? What might be the role of education? Well, it's huge, and I think one of the things, too, that's important for women is that it really is, and I really realized, and Catherine, you've heard me say this before, that you're doing it for yourself and for your learning and to make your life fuller. I remember when I was getting my graduate degree and walking in Lincoln Park that morning and thinking to myself first, I'm never going to have to apologize to anyone again for not having a master's degree. And all of a sudden, I just stopped in my tracks. I thought, that's not the truth, Judith. You've been very successful. The truth is you'll never have to apologize to yourself again. Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. I feel yeah. very much the same way. Yeah. It was something I wanted to do for myself. And yes. yeah, certainly didn't need it for other reasons. And I also thought when I had the chance to go back to school that everybody would think that was fabulous and that was really wrong. A lot of, many people, it was, are you nuts? Why, you know, why would you leave? You've had, been successful. You've had a great career. You'll never earn that money back. Mm. Yes, I've heard that too. Many right. times. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. So on. what is the value added? Well, the value added is the way that you look at the world and the people that you've met and the learning that you've had and just the way you open yourself to possibilities. It sounds like you, that your goal is to bring that attitude, that view to the clients that you work with, whether they go to, into more formal education or not. And so right. it kind of brings me back to why you chose your title of your, of your director of learning. Is well, it... Yeah, so just say a little more about that. Yeah, there really is, and it's a, a lifelong learning situation. And I think, too, when I look back now, too, over the things I've done and the things that have captured my interest or my fancy and that I've really worked in and, and wanted to work in and things, that's what they've all been, that's what they've done, is that desire to learn and pass that on. And that's what I really wanted it to be. Not, I didn't want to be a practice director. I didn't want to be a vice president. But mm -hmm. really that it was the director of learning for myself and for the people that, are, that work in my practices and for the people they work with. Every coach has a coach. It seems like that's uh, an important piece of advice for, for all of us to be really thinking about exploring. What, is, what are those core threads that kind of pull across whether we've done a lot of different, had different careers, different work situations. So what, what kind of, what's the essence? And I think you've, you've described that really well. Yeah, the essence is it always has to be something that makes you learn, that makes you stretch yourself, that makes you keep learning and helping other people learn in a place that you can pay it forward. And, mm -hmm. it, and with the retirement thing, and Catherine, you've heard me tell about someone that worked for me in an, an admin capacity, who was someone who counted the days until she could retire. Mm -hmm. Well, those days came, and this woman now, several years later, 
every morning posts her blood sugar and her blood pressure on Facebook. Mm. No. And I think, oh, please. (laughs) No, no, no. <laughs> so Judith, we really appreciate your your taking time to to talk with us and share part of your story. I know there's many other stories we could explore. Um, is there anything else you'd like us, uh, our our audience, to know about you and your interests? Oh, it's just um, I love what I'm doing, and I love to talk about it, and I love to share it with other people. And I'm always happy to talk to anyone about it. That's great, Judith. Really, really a pleasure to get to know you better. And uh, we thank you very much for taking the time to be on Women Over 70. And we've been talking with Judith DeVries. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myth that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.